love to go to the farmer's market and then we have some really nice grass-fed meat, grass-fed finished beef people and pig and yeah. and, and, and uh, lamb. But th- there's not a lot of fat on there at all. I mean, there just no, isn't, yeah, you know. Really you got to cook it different. And I, I barely cook it. And but <clears throat> So I, I have this grass-fed, grass-fed, uh, grass-finished, organic beef tallow I get from a place called Fatworks. And I just eat tablespoons of that throughout the day. You know, I'll just eat a lot. I just... And yeah. it tastes good, you know. It it tastes yeah. good. Kind of a waxy fat, it, yeah. Tallow, yeah, tallow. A little bit of waxiness, right? You kind of feel that on your teeth and stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's how that's how the fat in a deer is. Is like that too. Very waxy. You feel like you make candles out of it. But I, I'm curious about what you said about the calories, because I mean, isn't the meme out there now that fat doesn't make you fat? But it, well, fat won't make you fat if you're burning it all. If you're burning, just it. like carbohydrates. Okay, so I'm burning it up. Won't make right. you fat if you're burning them all either. If you're eating excess. You know, if you have a calorie demand of 2,000 and you're eating 3,000, you're going to get fat. You'll get fat. And if you okay. ha- if you have a calorie demand of 2,000 and you're eating 1,000, you're going to get skinny. You know, there's it's just, it's a fuel issue, you know? So people <laughs> are just overfueling. And a lot of times in exercise, what happens, and you describe this really well, you start strength training or you start cardio or something like that. You start training more, but you're you're restricting back calories in some way. And you feel like you don't have the energy. You don't have the juice. Yeah. And it's like, man, I don't have what it takes to do this. And you have to increase your fueling. So it's, I think what would be useful for people to do, I mean, this might sound a little extreme to some characters, but I think it's useful to look at what athletes are doing and basically building your exercise program, not off of what extreme athletes are doing or extreme racing or anything like that. That's not most of our goals. But looking at like, what do athletes do? How do they organize their training? How do they organize their fueling? How do they organize their rest and their sleep? Mm-hmm. Because we're playing a long game here. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. if you're looking at decades and decades and decades of just chunking away at this stuff, you want to optimize it to a degree, right? And who knows how to do this? Well, athletes know how to do it, particularly masters athletes. It, you know, it, it, not necessarily an 18-year-old kid who's, you know, not, not like the Michael Phelps. It's like, that's awesome. But we all know like it has to do with his age too. It's, he's young when he did all that, right? Get 10 gold medals or whatever, but you're young. You look at a master's athlete. What's it take to compete in a Ironman, a triathlon, a master swimming division, anything like that? Like I mentioned being in CrossFit and, and CrossFit's a sport, not just an exercise modality. And it's kind of nice because we get ranked every time we do a workout with everybody else. We kind of know how we did compared to everybody else. But looking at what those athletes do, what they eat, that's really useful. That it's kind of like, I think sometimes what we do is we go right to the so-called experts who have the academic understanding of this stuff to tell us what to do. And we forget to look at who's actually practically doing it and Hmm. living it. Right. So you look at athletes, like how they fuel. It's a pretty specific way that people eat, you know, and it, they eat a lot. They, the frequency is very high. The quantity is low per meal, but adds up to be the right amount of calories. And they're very careful about overfueling because as an athlete, you can't carry too much extra weight mm-hmm. unless you're like a sumo wrestler or something. You, you try not to carry extra weight into your endeavor. So I think that'd be smart for us to look at. It's sort of similar to like, for me with food, it was like, rather than listen to what all the dietary experts are saying, I wanted to look at what hunter-gatherer people were eating. That was more interesting to me. Yeah. I felt like there was more, more answers there 
than coming out of these textbooks, which change decade by decade. If we had got it, imagine you got a nutrition. The only nutrition book you had was from, let's say the early 2000s, the 90s, let's say the 90s. You'd think fat was bad for you. Of course. And then you'd get a yeah. nutrition book from today and you'd be like, oh, carbohydrates are bad for you. I mean, how come it keeps changing? Whereas you look at hunter-gatherers, you're like, doesn't change, consistent for 100,000 years. I'd rather learn from them. Similar like with athletes, I think there's they figured out things that the, it's just we're behind in how to train and how to eat of course, academically. You, you know, a trend now is, you know, you could just be a boy and turn into a girl and then you could win. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's my approach. <laughs> I, 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 I want to go. I want to go against the girls. Okay. Oh my goodness. Daniel Vitalis is with his Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Let's talk about some of your products. So, this is so cool, folks. If you, ah, whoa, I brought it just in case you didn't have it. Whoa. I'm so proud of this product. Yeah, tell oh, tell folks about this. This is awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, black walnut protein powder. Man, yeah. I couldn't be more proud of this product, Patrick. I mean, talk it's about been, it um, where you get it and everything. Yeah, so there's a there's a a tree in North America called the black walnut tree. So most people are familiar with walnuts, but those walnuts that we get in the store eat at Christmas time are English walnuts. So those come from Europe, and they've been domesticated to have a really thin shell. Um, and a high nut meat quantity to shell. So most of us are used to domesticated English walnuts, but there's a native walnut in North America. Uh, there's a couple, but there's one called black walnut. And this tree produces the highest protein nut of any of the tree crop nuts. And this is a natural tree growing all over the United States or middle of the United States compared to the English walnut, which has to be grown in orchards. So if you want to make an orchard, you're having to take habitat, tear it apart, and then replace it with trees. And that's one of the problems with agriculture is we lose a lot of habitat to it. Well, there's these black walnut trees growing all over North America, and they don't require any pesticide, herbicide, agricultural land, no irrigation. So everybody knows now like almonds are a huge water consumer, the almond industry. So these are just trees growing wild. Nobody has to give them any inputs. And creatures live in and on them. So they are habitat. Well, the problem is their flavor is a lot stronger than what we're used to with an English walnut. They have a very, very hard to crack shell. You need a specialized nutcracker. You you can't crack this with a regular little Christmas handheld nutcracker, a little Drosselmeyer or something uh. like that. You need something more industrial. Um, and there's no, they're not farmed. So there's no orchards for them, but there's one company uh, in Missouri called Hammonds that I, I've been working with. And they, um, for three generations, they're a family business for three generations. They go and they set up about, I don't know, 30 of these hulling stations. Hmm. So they'll partner with somebody could be a mom and pop hardware store, could be some Amish folks, something like that. And they'll, they'll bring in these industrial hullers and they'll set up a station and then anybody who's listening can do this. You find a place like there's a black walnut tree not far from me. I can go gather those black walnuts, bring them to one of these hulling stations and then they hull them and then they pay you for the weight of the nuts. And that's how they get all of these nuts. They're a completely wild crop. No domestication, no farming, no growing, no orchards, no nothing. They take all these nuts back and then they sell those nut meats. Well, what we've done is taken those nut meats and use the same extraction process that's going on in the cannabis industry, the CO2 extraction. It's the uh -huh. cleanest way to make an extract. So they take carbon regular carbon dioxide and compress it until it becomes a liquid. And then you use that to dissolve the oil-soluble compounds out of something. And then when you take the pressure off, all the CO2 goes away. 
So you have like no remnant of anything, just the pure extract. We're doing that to these black walnut meats, hmm. taking all the oils out and we're left with the protein. And so this is a protein powder. Um, and the idea is to compete with all the other plant-based proteins out there. So pea protein and hemp protein and rice protein uh, with a completely wild crop. So this is the first 100% foraged protein product and the only wild protein that I know of that you could get in a, you know, in a protein powder format. Uh, so completely wild, uh, very high protein. And um, what's so cool about it is it's like the entire workforce, you think about like the labor force for a lot of what we do. When we find out about the labor force, we realize, oh, there's some unethical things going on in a lot of our industries. This is a completely volunteer workforce oh, people just cool. gather these with their kids they bring them in i just made an episode about it of my show and and the guy uh i brought a bunch of nuts and gave them to this guy to add into the load he was selling and he was there you know buying uh archery equipment for his kids so he's there to sell those nuts to get archery equipment for his kids so it's so a lot of families bringing their their nuts in that they've done this for generations they make a few bucks doing it um so you got a volunteer workforce you got a native tree crop so instead of bringing a tree from europe that doesn't belong here and taking out what was here to plant that tree there's these trees are already here habitats preserved no water no chemicals and you end up with the it's like a beyond organic ultra ultra clean co2 extracted protein i mean it's like the um i'd say it's the highest end protein that you could you could get it's I'm so just, exciting I'm incredibly proud I'm, of it. and it tastes oh, great awesome. tastes great so you're putting this in your morning smoothie you had mentioned that uh, i am uh, yeah, julie yeah, wants yeah. to know what your morning smoothie consists of thanks for having him on so you oh, might man, as well tell us what you do <laughs> all right here we go so i make chaga you know that's been a big thing for me forever so like usually once a week or every two weeks i make a big pot of chaga and i bottle it up and i have that in the refrigerator so that's a medicinal mushroom tea mm -hmm. and i do about uh like a what do you call that a pint half a quart is that a pint 500 milliliters is how i think of it so i do 500 milliliters of liquid i do soaked chia seed hmm. i do um one raw egg I do um, one cup of berries, usually wild blueberries. Um, I'll do a tablespoon or less of maple syrup, um, stevia, because I like I got a serious sweet tooth, but I try <laughs> to keep those sugar calories down a little bit. Yeah. Um, I do my protein powder, um, so I'll do a third of a cup of that packed tight. It's the it's a quarter cup on the. Uh, You're talking package, about this one, I, uh, the Bio Matrix. No, I'll talk about that in a minute, though. I okay. love that product. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about this protein oh, powder the here. Protein and then powder I do there. also, okay. um, I also do the colostrum, a third of a cup of, of the course. colostrum. You gotta have colostrum. I mean, well, come on, forget about it. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm still from, yeah, I mean, I, I just still love it. And then I'm massively, I don't, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I'm a major cacao eater. So about a quarter <laughs> cup of cacao nibs. I'm, I'm trying to scale a little bit, but I have a hard time. I just really like eating cacao. Uh, so that goes in there. Um, let me think if there's anything else. I don't put it in there, but when I make the smoothie, I take my vitamin D. You put um, it, it's yeah. just like the time the vitamin time of D day K2. that I take yeah. it. I don't yeah. put it into the smoothie, but I just take it at that time. I'll try to think if there's anything else in there. Um, lately, I've been messing around with cow's milk, and so I've been putting a little in there to mm. fortify that a little bit too. But that'll be, if I do that, I reduce the amount of the um, chaga that chaga I do. So liquid. I'll split that a little bit just because I don't. I can only drink so much Something of this Something like stuff. that's got to keep you going for hours. It'll get me through to about 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Well, <laughs> man, you are burning up some stuff, dude. Well, you get on get on the machine for an hour. Wow. And you know, you burn a lot. So, you know, I might get, you know, an hour of that kind of steady state cardio 
you're talking five to 700 calories being burned. So yeah, I can get pretty hungry after that. But um, yeah, so I think that's everything. If anything else comes to mind, I'll let you know, but I just blend that up. And that's been my drink for, I've been drinking that one for a couple of years. Wow. Sally got me real afraid. She was like, you, you got to stop with the chia seeds. You got to stop, with, you gotta yeah, stop with the cacao. You know, she was like telling me to stop all these things. I, I used to add fats into that. I used to add um, coconut oil, like coconut oil or, mm. or some kind of fat, but I don't anymore. Um, don't find that I need it. But anyway, that's my my morning drink. That Biomatrix you just pulled up. Yeah, now that's a really I, cool. I product. just got this, so I haven't really even tried it. I just got it. Okay, and 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 uh, it looks like this will be a good thing for help me build muscles, which I'm in training for, right? Well, that, what that's good for is a pre workout. A pre workout. So, Pre-workout drink, yeah. I'm I'm relabeling that right now, actually, as we speak, because I, I'm I've changed the label copy a little bit to make it a little clearer. But that product is essentially well, you know, there's this whole category of pre-workout drinks, but what they tend to do is rely really heavy on caffeine. And yeah. I'm somebody who can't tolerate much caffeine, so that's got per dose. I think it's around like 15 milligrams because it's made with yerba mate. Oh, that's where um, the caffeine so comes. Very, from. very yeah. low caffeine, very low. But if you're somebody like me who doesn't drink caffeine, it's just enough to. I don't really feel it. It's just a little bit of an uplift. But it's got two other supplements in there that are ergogenics. Um, ergogenic means allows you to do more work. Hmm. And so there, there's creatine monohydrate in there. By the way, if you work out everybody should be on creatine that works out. I just don't see a see, reason. See, I've never done it that, like, so I'm excited about this. Yeah. Uh, never you done should creatine. Mess with creatine. That helps okay. the muscles, yeah, so cre creatine, muscles grow? Yeah. Cool. They'll, they'll, they help your muscles take on more water, stay more hydrated, ah, uh -huh. which gives you a plumper muscular look. But also what it allows you to do is eke out a little bit more work. So people on creatine can get a, a couple more reps little more weight, like it allows you to do a little more work. Now, the other thing in there, and you should be aware of this before you take this, is beta-alanine. Beta-alanine is an amino acid that's also ergogenic. So similar thing, what beta-alanine allows you to do is when you're sprinting, you know, you're in that anaerobic place to tolerate the lactic acid a little longer. Huh. So, you know, when you're starting to burn, you're like, I can't go anymore. You get a little bit more out of it. So, uh, but beta alanine, when you take it, makes your body tingle for a little while. Oh, cool. So pre-workouts, you know, a pre-workout's working when your whole body gets this like tingling sensation and that will do that to you. So just be aware. But what I like to do with that is take a scoop or so I usually do two scoops of that mm -hmm. in a small amount of water, like 400 mLs, 300 mLs and just mix it up. It tastes really, really good. It tastes like almost like Lipton iced tea kind of a flavor and just shoot that back about 10 minutes before you do your workout. Oh, cool. I mean, I'm kind of hooked on it now. Actually, we, it's funny because we've just run out. We're about to get resupplied, but I'm on like one of the last bottles survival has as we're getting. And what are you going to call it? What's the new name going to be? I'm keeping the name on it. I'm just changing a couple of things on there to make it a little clearer. Like it says right now, energy drink, and right. it'll say pre-workout on the new labels yeah. just so people understand what it is. But um, yeah, that's a, as somebody who's training a lot, that's a really useful tool for me is to have a pre-workout and and to not rely so heavily on the caffeine thing because a lot of people can't get themselves to train they get habituated to heavy heavy doses of caffeine yeah. which can be beneficial but can also have you know there's problems too so um yeah that I stays got, below that threshold but still gives you those ergogenics do, do you know i have a feeling too i don't know what your ideas about that but we have a lot of emails we got to get to me can you can stick around for a few minutes you're okay yeah cool cool um that I do quite a bit of meditation, but it's a it's a um, 
writing. You know, I've got to get to this space to write screenplays that I'm working on. Oh, it, yeah. It takes a lot of juice for that. It's interesting how much yeah, cause energy. Yeah, because you burn like 30% of brain calories. How much yep. energy it takes. You know, I do that for a few hours in that real, in that space, that zone, and I get hungry. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I mean, what's yeah, that? Yeah, your brain burns a ton of fuel. I think Does that it? on, I think at resting metabolic rate, I think your, don't quote me on this, but I think your brain burns like a third of your calories. Isn't that interesting? We have such big, unique brains. It's so interesting how like you, <laughs> like human human beings have to come out at nine months because otherwise our head will get too big. Really? Like you have to birth. Yeah, because we continue our our heads continue our brains continue to grow till we're 18 and develop right so you you can't gestate that long so we end up doing a lot of animals do their development in the womb but we have to get out because our our brain is so big it's really fa that's fascinating that's funny that's great yeah uh, this is a good one here uh leon some of the carnivore people that patrick has had on now are advocating more meat raw than cooked they say it's much better for you. What does Daniel think? I don't really totally agree with that. Um, and also, when you again, when you eat wild meats, so I, I'm guilty of looking at everything through a historic lens, mm -hmm. a deep his, human deep history lens. So if eating raw meat's good for you, it's probably a relatively recent adaptation because. In the wild, a lot of the animals you'd eat, you you would get parasitic infections if you ate them raw. Like a bear is a great example. Uh, like black bears notoriously carry, um, what is it called? That was in um, pigs for a long time. We now have got it out, but um, that worm infection. I know what you um, mean, yeah. But I don't know why it's slipping my mind. Trichinosis. Trichinosis. So you know, like cooking it renders that inactive so that you can then eat that meat safely like you know there's little things like that where kind of how i was explaining that domestication and farming allows you to eat certain plants raw that in the wild you couldn't similar when carnivores they call themselves carnivores and act like you know to me a carnivore hunts and eats its meat doesn't go to the supermarket and buy domesticated meat and eat that and be like, I'm a carnivore. It's like, mm, well, you're eating meat from the supermarket and that's come through the USDA system. And that meat's been, you know, a butcher friend told me that all that meat in the supermarket's been dunked in something to, um, really? in a chemical bath really? too, you know? So these things have been made safe. So we should keep that in mind. Humans have been using fire for a really long time for a lot of reasons. And one of the things that now, all cooking's not equal. You can overcook something yeah. and damage it, right? But you can also make something more edible too. Gentle cooking at the right temperatures unfolds protein and does increase their digestibility. But overcooking will denature a protein to the point that it, it actually is less nutritious. It just depends. I think cooking is great. I mean, I, I'm sure I think eating some raw meats valuable, you know, doing this thing like, uh, I was out with, um, a friend of mine, uh, Travis, who's a, who's Dakota. And I was out on standing rock to harvest a bison there with him. Wow. And when we killed this bison, the first thing he did, I shot this bison and they wanted a headshot. So shot behind the ear. And when you shoot an animal normally in the field, you shoot them through the lungs and they bleed out so that you get a lot of that blood out. But when you shoot him in the head, that doesn't happen. So we'll go over and cut its carotid artery and it's bleeding real heavy. And the first thing Travis does, sticks his hand and he starts slurping that blood. 
really? drinking it raw. And so I was like, okay, like <laughs> one in Rome. So I started doing that, you know, <laughs> and then we cut the liver out. And I mean, this thing is enormous, you know, and um, right off. How big, all was, the Lakota, it? How Dakota, big was the liver? Was the liver? The liver, how big? Oh, geez. Give us it in your hands. Uh, I, mean, just... I didn't weigh it. Yeah, it would be like, you know, like this, Whoa. like a manhole cover. Really? You know? That big? Oh, my goodness. The scale of these animals are ridiculous. Yeah, the episode's hilarious. There's a point where I'm pulling the stomach out and I'm, I'm trying to get it out, but I'm on top of it. And it looks like one of those giant exercise balls, hmm. you know, like I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm over the top of this rumen trying to pull it out. It's so big. But anyway, um, when the liver came out, everybody kind of started coming around. They all want to eat pieces of the liver. They like to sprinkle a little salt on it, but they eat that liver raw. And that's just a tradition that they have there on the prairie. So um, hmm. I think there's lots of cases for eating raw meat, but I also think there's a reason that we, cook too i just think we just want to over we don't yeah. want to overcook but i think sometimes it increases digestibility and um utilization too so how, how important do you think eating general. just uh for those of us who get things at the farmer's market liver kidney and other organ meats how important do you think that oh, is? yeah yeah let me touch on that one i want to add one more piece okay. to what i was just saying when you go to the store and you buy meat usually you're buying cuts that are luxury cuts Rib so the other thing is New like, York it's a little more challenging to eat a shank raw. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's like not very edible. What you need to do is low, slow cooking in water typically to <laughs> render all that out into something that comes apart. So you get that meat pulling apart effect mm -hmm. and that all of that connective tissue kind of gelatinizes and becomes edible because trying to chew on tendon raw it's very easy to be like well i love eating raw meat because i buy tenderloins and i buy loins and <laughs> you know that stuff's easy to eat raw anybody can eat that as tartare that's easy the rest of the animal is a little harder to get at right so that's another consideration um and there's something to be said about balancing methionine and glycine these are two amino acids methionine is very high in meat glycine is much higher in connective tissue mm -hmm. and if we're not getting enough of that connective tissue and we're just eating the raw meat part but not breaking down that tendinous stuff and those joints and eating that we can end up with that imbalance um i think the organ meat's pretty important i think that um sometimes it gets a little overstated you know people like the liver king maybe took that a little that idea and, you think? and muddied the waters quite a bit <laughs> for us <laughs> poor yeah guy. i i think i think that's pretty important stuff but um i'm not a kidney eater i'll just be honest yeah. i and i don't like eating kidneys um chalk that up to being a modern person who's had a lot of chocolate bars in his life or something but i don't really care for it i do like liver um i don't ever mess with brains i just don't mess with it the, some of the diseases that come out of brain-based prion diseases freak me out so i don't mess with brains and kidneys very much um but uh, liver and heart, heart yeah heart, oh yeah pretty tasty right? heart's just muscle i mean that's yeah. an easy one to eat that's just muscle um liver is a weirder thing as you know i mean it's like man this thing feels like a jello mold and it's a little freaky and it's got a lot of blood in it often um and i find that my i find it a lot easier to eat smaller livers so like when i hunt squirrels and rabbits like i love those Really? Little livers and, and the equivalent from the supermarket would be like, uh, or from the farm would be like chicken livers. Like it's easy to cook a chicken livers, like a, a pan of chicken livers and feed that to people and people will enjoy that. Yeah. You start giving them beef and pig liver and some people get a little squeamish and it's not about, it's the flavor. It's not the size of it, you know, cause you cut yeah. it up. But, um, I think it's important though. So like however much you can work it in, but I don't, I also don't think that it's absolutely necessary to be healthy. Mm -hmm. It's just a repository of a tremendous amount of fat-soluble vitamins 
or in the case of heart, things like CoQ10 that are found there, it's super valuable. Here's an email from Kevin. I've been enjoying your products for many years through Patrick's show, oh, thanks, especially colostrum. He says, what's the possibility of ever having a raw colostrum and not a pasteurized? Thank you. It's really difficult. There's a few things I'd like to do with colostrum because um, I'd also, you know, I wish we could have a completely grass finished certified organic colostrum. There's just not enough of a market. It's just too small of a market. And so that's the challenge. So yeah, I would like to do that. But if you if you want that, Kevin, the way to do that is to make a relationship at a dairy. Yeah. Because they milk that out and you could actually get some. But yeah, from from a commercial level, like what I'm doing at Surf Rival, uh, it's really difficult to get that. Believe me, we're yeah. always trying to we're always trying to find a way to up level that, but it can be a challenge. I'll just say this though, that the product that we have, uh, I haven't seen anything on the market that can rival it. Um, that's for sure. So as far as quality goes, I feel like we have the best product that is commercially available. But of course, if you can go to a farm and they've and got get, a get the raw glass jar of it, it's like, that's awesome too. You yeah. know, yeah. I love to, I mean, I'll still do that when I can, but that said, you know, I take my own product. So, um, <laughs> because it's pretty hard to get at colostrum and, and more and more farmers don't want to give it up because they use it to feed their cows as uh-huh. an inoculant against disease just like we do like colostrum's like sort of like a vaccine in a sense because of the immunoglobulins and the transfer factor protect you against infections that that animal's experienced similarly them knowing that they feed some to the calves and then they save the rest usually frozen so they can feed it back to their cows when they're sick i know we extended the sale is it still on sale colostrum is it i think that sale's ended but oh it hasn't yeah, I hate it when that happens. Um, I know. <laughs> I bought some of your digestive bitters, writes Dennis in northern Utah. What a great state. Um, could you explain how it works? Is it when the bitter taste hits your tongue, the gallbladder contracts? Unload both barrels on your bitters, please. So, and I got, I love it. I have about three of them downstairs. This is great. This is really a good product, folks. If you haven't tried yeah, these digestive really bitters, Tell, tell, tell Daniel how this works or Daniel, tell us how this works. Yeah. So bitters, I mean, this is like an old thing too. People have been doing bitters for a long, long time. They've gotten less popular because everybody's taking, you know, all, all of these antacids and they're taking all of these, you know, pharmaceutical drugs essentially that have replaced bitters. But the idea is that you get a suite of liver tonic herbs together and it works in a couple ways. So I like to think of it the way he just described it which is that when you your mouth senses bitter, your body goes time to dump some bile. But a lot of the herbs, when you're using it regularly, a lot of those herbs actually increase bile production too. They're not going to do that the second you taste it. So that's going to come from using it regularly. You know, your liver is going to produce more bile. The flow is going to get better. You're going to have more in your gallbladder. But yeah, when you get those bitter flavors, your liver does, your gallbladder does discharge essentially discharges bile into your small intestine and that's that it's it does basically work like that but just think of those herbs that are in there is also increasing bile flow and production as well and and the, and the, the spray thing is so cool i mean you you could have yeah, some in I your like glove compartment if you go go out to eat yeah. or something and you know rock and roll yeah and uh, yeah. people have said too we've had a good friend of mine who's a doc on the show has said that the colostrum helps he- the gut heal as well, correct? It's actually like one of the very best. Wow. It's amazing that we don't hear as much in the IBS Crohn's kind of conversation uh, or the leaky gut or any of those kind of 
issues with the lining of the intestine because colostrum is one of the very best things for, uh, and there's a lot of research on that. Colostrum is like one of the most studied supplements. I mean, it's incredible. The body of research is enormous, um, but a lot of that's devoted to its effect on the gut lining and how it can restore that. So if somebody's if somebody's trying to repair the gut lining, it would be really wise to look at colostrum, you know, pull up some of those studies, start to look at like, maybe that's, maybe that's a really good direction to go. I'll say that. And, and, and uh, we now have chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Yeah. And the oregano yeah, I, I, right, and vanilla. So we got four, right? Four kinds. Yeah. So we've got, yeah. So we, we did the chocolate, strawberry and vanilla. And I, I want to explain about those because I'm, I'm really proud of what we did there. What there's this, there's this thing going so in the supplement industry you have these places called flavor houses and the flavor houses produce all of these flavors that we're all really used to in our supplements that you know aren't natural tastes <laughs> i mean you're like yeah that's strawberry but it's too strawberry you know that feeling yeah. so that all comes from these flavor houses you know famously it's like they say like a um, a big mac all that flavor is coming from the flavor house that food is so processed that without those flavors that thing would taste like cardboard is that right Really? You can open one of these vials and smell it, and it's like eating a Big Mac, you know? It's the aroma. So when you buy supplements, they always have, you know, natural, all of these natural flavors. Well, those are coming out of these flavor houses, and they pack a really strong punch. But I think we all know the experience of blending like a protein powder or something like that, and you're like, so my wife can't stand any of those flavors. Like, she's just, she can't stand tasting those synthetic tastes. I don't like them either. So- we used real strawberry, real vanilla, and Good real chocolate to get those flavors. Um, they aren't so potent that, like, you got to be careful not to overwhelm the flavor with too much other flavors because it's a natural. It's like if I put strawberries in a smoothie and then I start adding a whole bunch of other stuff, like, if I add too much stuff, I won't taste the strawberry. So, you know, if you want a real strong strawberry flavor, blend just that colostrum with whatever you're going to blend it with because those are real natural flavors the pink in the strawberry colostrum is is coming from beet juice mm. you know so we didn't use fake color we didn't use fake flavor that's the real deal um that was expensive to do that by the way i mean obviously you know vanilla bean like a lot of people don't know this but the the insect that pollinates vanilla beans extinct they have to hand pollinate every vanilla right? really yeah yeah man so you know vanilla has gotten very expensive um so to do it naturally obviously you know comes at an expense but i mean these products are as good as you can do them i mean we're really really proud of what we did there well we're proud to uh, uh, support them if you're interested in some of the products that we've been talking about the colostrum and all the things haven't even mentioned pine pollen which i've taken probably every day for 10 years is the survival link on one radio network.com one radio network.com any survival link and you'll see several of them just click an order and you rock and roll and you too can be big and strong like daniel and hunt bear uh, 44 i'm on that pine pollen now man yeah, maybe you. you know i think i was thinking about it this morning i think that's the i've taken pine pollen more regularly than anything ever this whole lifetime wow. daniel yeah probably wow, 10 years you know uh, and i do it just like you yeah. say too early in the morning i do it yeah yeah, it's like right on my nightstand is where I keep that one. Um, here's an email from Greg. Thanks for having Daniel on. Since Daniel has so much history of the natural world, can you please ask him what his opinion are of chemtrails? Oh, and and and, and geoengineering. Is he able to discern <laughs> what's natural versus man-made 
alterations. Uh, uh, mm, feisty. God. Oh, wow, Christ. you're really trying to pull me out here. All, All right, right. Yeah. I'm real careful about this stuff. Okay. You gotta be careful what you say these days. Um, <laughs> I want to say this about it. There was a period of time. I'm trying to think of when this would have been. This would have been maybe 12 years ago-ish mm -hmm. where I would come outside and there would be days where planes would fly overhead and leave contrails that were massive checkerboards and those days would always turn into hazy days. Yes, sir. And everybody was talking about chemtrails and it was going on and on. I would see J hooks in the sky, planes that weren't part of our normal flight patterns. I mean, this was going on and on and on. And then it stopped. And I don't see it like that. It's not happening anymore. I don't either. I don't know why. I agree with you. That's, I don't see it here. Changed. I don't see it here. Yeah, it uh, changed dramatically. Once it changed, we started to see geoengineering coming into the conversation at the um, legislative level. And you, you'd start to see this starting, like Congress starting to talk about these things. And now geoengineering and the idea of doing it with planes seems to be um, like this idea that's being floated. Okay. So what I think is that G that the people at that Davos level are apparently pretty freaked out about climate um, and looking to do all kinds of draconian things to sure. change it. Right. And they're not shy about saying they want to geoengineer. They just don't say they've tried it already or experimented with it. My, I don't know if this is true. I don't have anything to back this up, but my just with my own eyes and what I experienced in the last decade, seems to me there was a period of time of experimentation that was happening that has stopped. I remember it being where, like I said, big grid patterns. I mean, it, people must remember this, and sure. if not, you can see pictures of it online. Big grid patterns in the sky that would that would all merge, and the sky would go hazy. And then I would go traveling to, like, say, South America, and you wouldn't see anything like that. Planes would go overhead; they wouldn't do that. And then I come back here, and it's it was widespread. And like I said, one day it seemed to stop. So I don't notice it that much anymore. Very rarely do I see contrails that that are super stark, that last all day, that line up in the sky and they spread out and merge. Um, that seems to have stopped. So I wonder if there was a period of time where there was some experimentation with jet fuels or if there was experimentational experimental flights. Fly I don't know how this could have worked. It sounds like tinfoil hat stuff, but I saw it with my eyes, so I don't know what it was. But uh, I think that probably what will happen is geoengineering with aerosols will become a thing. And then someday, 50 years from now, they'll be declassified that there was experiments that took place and it'll vindicate all the people who got canceled or made fun of. Right. And then we'll realize, oh, if something did happen, um, but right now we don't know. I just know that I did see a phenomenon that I don't really see anymore. But, so, but big picture too, Daniel. I mean, it's fair to say that our body is uh, set up so we detox of a lot of these things, right? Through sweating and feces and urine and and we just do that yeah, breathing too yeah breathing yep. we, we just do yeah 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 and you know i mean that's otherwise like, we'd all be dead know. dude we, <laughs> yeah well I, yeah you know what i'm saying if say they're like, bad as they say we, we 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 wouldn't be here would we well that i can't comp like so okay. i can just say that with my eyes i saw the the contrails that behaved differently than normal contrails and i remember what felt like a program taking place in the skies 
I don't know what that was, what that was made of. If that that could have been pixie dust or it could have been <laughs> vitamin B3 for all I know. I don't know if it was like people jump to they want to depopulate us. It's poison. They're trying to destroy the environment. Like, I don't know if any of that happened. I just know that I was seeing planes and I I don't know hmm. what that stuff was. Yes. But but uh but to speak to your point, we have incredible detoxification systems, but you want to maximize them. Oh yeah. Sweating, you oh, know. Yeah. yeah. That that thing of like burning the furnace I was talking about, because you exhale a lot of your body's metabolic waste, feces, urine, you want to keep all those systems pumping because even if there wasn't a program and I'm like, man, I was just wrong. Those were contrails or whatever. Even if that never happened, the environment is so loaded with, I mean, we are so super inundated with chemical pollution right now. You just got to smile and hack through it because what can you do about it? Yeah, what are you, you going to do? Forever chemicals? What are you going to do, you know? Gloria wants to know, what books and or websites would Daniel recommend for someone wanting to learn more about herbalism? I took an online class about a year ago from herbalist Jim McDonald, but am looking to get back into learning more about it. Um, hmm. Any ideas? Here? Wow. Okay. I'm. This is a. This is a phase of my life that I'm not deep in right now. Okay. Like this is a from my past. So I don't have. I wish I could point some resources, but I will say. Um, and what a tremendous loss to the to the world that Stephen Harry Buner passed. Yeah. Um, but he was um, one of my favorite authors in herbalism, and I've got all his books here, um, including books he sent me before they were even published. So I'm just a huge fan of his work. And um, <laughs> as far as herbalism, he's the one who, you know, I got turned on to pine pollen through him, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, which is, so he, he's been a massive influence on how I think about herbalism. So I'd recommend his books, you know, just off the top of my head. But uh, but I, unfortunately, I, I just don't have resources right now to, to point you towards. Mm-hmm. Here's one from AD. Uh, let's see. I, in addition to foraging, does Daniel purposely plant medicinal herbs does he okay like comfrey and things like that in a garden yeah i'm i'm not a green thumb gardener type character at all so i spend yeah i spend my time out in the woods but um but i rely very heavily on friends who are of the green thumb type Mm -hmm. Uh, speaking of outside do you think it's really good the wim hof cold stuff you think that's cool good good stuff I was just thinking about this today. Oh, yeah. I was turning my shower cold, you know? Yeah, that's and, what I uh, do every morning now. Cold yeah. shower. Poof. Do you? How cold can you get it there in Dripping Springs, uh, man? Because I, 45. It's not that cold, right? See, a rainwater collection. Okay. So it just depends on how cold it is. And that's pretty cold. Okay. 45. So you, your water's coming from gravity feet? Yeah, so, rainwater um, collection, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, because some places, you know, you go to LA or something, it's it, like tepid. You whatever. can't get cold. Yeah. Um, I think that right now we're in a it's extremely fashionable all the cold immersion stuff's really fashionable wim hoff has been a big proponent of it andrew huberman pushes it really i've just i mean i'm sure we're all seeing in our social media cold plunges there's like 20 companies now selling cold plunges um so i think all that stuff is really cool um submersion up to the neck all that stuff but that said like i think that we'll forget about it over the next few years and it'll start to become you know obscure again it's just really popular right now right uh, it's never been as popular as sauna. So like when you look at heat therapies, that's something that you see consistently through cultures all the time. When you look at cold immersion, it's less represented, although it's always been there too. I remember growing up like the polar bear club yeah, and all that, but that wasn't really a health thing. That was more like a mental training thing. So I think it's important to separate out what we do for mental and what we do for physical 
because and there's always going to be overlap but a lot of times doing hard things is not about the body it's about it's like is it good for your body to do um a 200 mile race like no that's not good for your body that's hard on your body it's good for your mind right so i think with the cold immersion part of it's like a meditation it's mental it's like can i because when i meditate on my meditation cushions like that's easy man yeah. that's easy nothing to that. that's easy stuff yeah meditate in 45 degree water up to your neck mm, starts getting harder <laughs> real hard <laughs> to stay focused you know so part of that's mental but um so i think we are in like a time where it's fashionable but i, I think it is really good and part of how i view this is that everywhere in the world it's hot at noon hotter at noon than it is at midnight mm. because the temperature does a sine wave and what our climate control does is makes a steady temperature all the time and our bodies become less adaptable and so you want exposure to heat and cold um i've got a sauna here in my house and i've got very cold water from my well so i expose myself to oh, both no. ends of the spectrum and i think that's really good for you to stay adaptable um but i don't think you absolutely need it or anything like that and i think it's you know if you're drawn to it i i think wim hoff is such a wild character a, i mean i got to interview him as well he's such a wild man uh i love that he's out there doing what he's doing um but again i think a lot of that's mental training as much as sure. it is physical too yeah 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 we had a freeze apocalypse here two years ago and we didn't have any electricity <laughs> for like uh, 10 days nothing boom crazy stories was, come out of there yeah and uh, so i started doing cold showers because that's all i had oh yeah and right. and yeah. i've been doing them ever since and i just oh cool yeah i just don't cool. even do the warm thing anymore it's just fun i, I think after, it hardens uh, the body oh, you don't take you just do cold showers I, that's it that's, except you know every couple I'm, weeks I'm i'll wash softy, man yeah every couple I weeks like i'll want to wash my hair you know, yep. so I'll Need just do I'll do some warm water for that. But other than that, I don't do it. It's just yeah, I respect that. I respect that. <laughs> I I I like I could spend a half an hour in a hot shower, and and I I just love it. I'm a hot spring person. Oh yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, so yeah. I've just I love heat immersion. And um, but I started at the beginning of the year. I was like, okay, I'm gonna get on these cold plunges. I got a big like jacuzzi sized bathtub. Yeah, and we're on a well, so I'll fill that with water. That's you know, like you said, about 45 degrees. And I started doing it in the beginning of the year, and man, I didn't stick with it. I did not. I, I want to. I respect it. I want to do more of it, but I, I uh, cold shower is it's all. It's not to say that it doesn't. I mean, because I get out of bed and it's cool, and I say, okay, I, the first thing I do, I, I do uh, my deer exercise, and I throw some red light on my testicles. That's really cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I cool. do that, okay. and then I go to do a shower. And of course, the little mind says, you know, it's really going to be cold. And I say, get a grip, Patrick. You're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. That's all I, that's the only yeah. way I go. And I just jump in. And once you're in there for 20 sec 10 seconds, it's fine. You know, once you're you in know, there. You know, um, I want to <laughs> say, because the mental part is so important. It you is know? important. And it's like, I know this is family friendly, so I won't say it. Yeah. But Joe Rogan always is saying, like, you got to kill your inner. Um, and it's like, I noticed that with cardio we were talking about before. Like, I leave that pathetic whining part of myself about 20 minutes in that i get i finally get out ahead of that thing. oh it takes you so 20 for minutes? first 20 minutes yeah. yeah i'd say about the first 20 minutes it's like you know we could stop now 20 is <laughs> enough this is kind of hard is this too much impact on my joints like all that stuff is happening yeah, well, well. i'm gonna get a blister and i and it's like eventually i outrun that part of myself and leave it behind and then it's freedom yeah. i love so what's great about all those things is like when you get freedom from that part of you that is evolutionarily very important, remember that for our ancestors, you wanted to conserve energy as much as you could. So you didn't do extra exercise. Life was so much exercise. Whenever you could rest, you did. 
life was so cold and so hot that if you could get into a per you you don't expose yourself to cold on purpose when you live in the wild you don't you don't want to do any of that that right. could kill you but now we're in an environment that's too easy so we have to force ourselves and that part of us that wants to overeat that part of us that wants to eat too much sugar too much fat stay warm that's the part of us that kept us alive it's just now that part of us actually can kill us because we're in an environment where things are too plentiful or too easy yeah so don't get into the habit of thinking like oh there's something wrong with me no there's something right with right. you that you have that you yeah. just have to learn how to balance that part of yourself I talk to myself all the time. You're doing good, Patrick. Don't worry. I love you. You know, that's the only way I make it, Dan. I love you. That's I, a good one. I do. I love you. I love you. You're doing great. Don't believe anything. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I don't believe anything anymore. I mean, you look at the news. Oh, I don't have a TV, but if you go online, you have no idea what's going on. You Did don't you ever have imagined these no, conditions? No, this like, is bonkers, man. What's going on? Bonkers. Stuff that's truly, uh, we're talking the emperor wears no clothes yeah. level insanity. Bill Gates putting mask on on, on cows. You've seen that one. That's, that's a, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I mean, you can't even make this stuff up. You can't even make this stuff up. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, sometimes I feel like it's a test to see who's, who's still sane and who's willing to go along that's with right. crazy because- the number of people willing to go along with crazy is stunning. Whoa. Stunning stuff. It's, 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 you talking about it. I'm sure glad I'm just visiting, man. Uh, hey, yeah. <laughs> but, well, what does Daniel think about is the best diet for dogs? Also, what type of dewormers or medicinal things that he's going to recommend for dogs? Okay. Oh, yeah, I, I can't touch dog, the deworming right? thing. That's outside my veterinary skills. But um, So I think having, I think raw diets for dogs are really good. Um that said, so what I was doing for the last few years is making all my dog food. And because uh, I would have so much scrap from the animals yeah. that I would harvest Ooh, that I would grind all of that. Uh, but it was making my dogs really fat. Oh, it was? <laughs> so, really? Yeah. So now I'm, I, I'm mixing with high quality kibbles and I'll, and I'll feed in, you know, stuff that's organs and stuff like that. And I also give my dogs... Um, bones actual yeah you know bones from animals that i kill um but i'm much when i had one dog i man she this poor dog because we had puppies and um we bred her she had puppies and we've kept one of her sons and she remembers the time before him when life was good because <laughs> daddy was always cutting game and always have wow. meat scraps for her and the bones flowed like water and now i'm a little stingier with the two dogs uh with all this stuff but i think bones are really really important I for think a dog so too yeah. um and it's awesome to watch what they do taking them outside really burying them digging them up months later this whole thing my living room sometimes looks like a boneyard because they've got so many of these things they've the worked same out. Way, Daniel. Yeah, same way. Do you do that? All yeah, right. I think that's crucial. They're all over the I place. I think that's crucial. And our farmer's markets, you can buy bags of, of, of bones, of bones, and which we do. That's oh, amazing. And then, it's like the best part of the oh, animal, man. I've been giving Doodle to here raw goat's milk every morning for breakfast, and she really loves that. Yeah. She really loves yeah. that. That's good. Yeah. Me. I give her, I'll even do like um, when I'm thawing out something from the freezer, like all that blood juice that kind of accumulates, um, I pour that right in their bowls, you know, and I cut them a lot of meat scraps. So, um, and, and they can, they're happy to eat a lot of the pieces of like connective tissue that are too tough, you know, for us to eat. So, so yeah, lots of uh, all the parts of the animal. 
basically. I actually, I have the flip problem. I have to be careful with some of my scraps and actually take them away because they'll find them. Like, like <laughs> stuff that I used to dump off in my woods outside. Like Yo. now I have to take it to another property because they'll end up bringing that stuff in the house, you know? Do you bring the both your dogs with you on your adventures on the wild fed? No, not so much. No. I The dogs that I have are bear hunting dogs and I have taken them out of that lifestyle because uh it's really hard on dogs it's uh, very dangerous for dogs uh -huh. so so i love hunting with dogs i've done you know different types of dogs for all the different types of hunts like this year i got to duck hunt with dogs i got to upland game bird hunt with dogs rabbit hunt with dogs bear hunt with dogs but um they're all different types of dogs you know that we use for these different hunts and it's very cool to watch them work but when it comes to bears like i've got plot hounds when it comes to bears like i just i don't have the heart to see my dogs get injured by a bear yeah, you know yeah, yeah, unnecessary I, so um let's see here's a daniel just like daniel how important what This is just some long thing that I don't really kind of um, get. Let me let me see if I can figure out what they're asking. Pull a question out of it. <laughs> yeah, I pull a question. Pull a question out of it somewhere. Um, People don't know how hard it is to read these things on air, uh, right? Lori, your brain's in another place. <laughs> Lori says, "How oh, how critical is seafood? How how important is that in the Ooh. diet? Seafood. We haven't talked a lot about it. I know you do a lot of." Uh, your adventures and your your foraging and your fishing, um, you do mussels and clams and all kinds of yeah. fun things. Those crustaceans are those those are really uh, very nutrient dense, aren't they? They really lobster, are. Um, lobster. Yeah, I love lobster. Uh, yeah, well, I live in a coastal state, you know, state of Maine, so I have a lot of access, which is really nice. And um, I also, as somebody who fishes, I don't really like to eat freshwater fish. I really like to eat ocean fish um, just because of pollution stuff. Uh, just, it's funny because, you know, we've been talking about this cardio thing today uh, before I, I did an hour of rowing today and I was watching documentaries about the aquatic ape theory, which is this thing that I just can't let go. There's something about that that I find fascinating, this idea that I mean, this is largely considered mythological at this point and disproven by anthropologists and and kind of laughed at. But it's this idea that humans might have had an aquatic phase in our history that led to a whole bunch of changes in our bodies that are more like um, aquatic mammals than like land mammals. So are, are we an ape that maybe part of our brain development came through foraging in the ocean, especially on bivalve beds? Um, or, you know, crustaceans and things like that. So those, so if you ever get to take the skull cap off of a living mammal uh, or dead mammal, I mean, and you pull the brain out, what you notice is when you get that brain on your hands, it's amazing to me there aren't brain-based um, uh, moisturizers because you can't imagine how slick the oil that a brain wow. is made out of is. Because oh. brains are made out of like DHA, seafood fat, basically. Uh -huh. Um we don't make that well in our bodies, so we do need to consume it. And so shellfish are a great source of that and also oily fish. So when we eat something like cod, uh, it's like a white meat or a haddock or a pollock or um, halibut, let's say, and you get like a white filet of meat, that's a very low oil fish. You're not getting, you, can, you don't want to eat that and think, oh, I'm getting my omega-3s. You're getting your omega-3s when you eat something like tuna or a mackerel or um, salmon. oily salmon. Yeah, salmon could be, but also they're grain feeding salmon. So too. So if it's wild careful, salmon, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So you want to pick through that. But anyway, when you get those oils, man, that's like uploaded into your brain. I think that we under appreciate how important this is for women who've had children too, because mm. um, you're making another brain out of that fat and that fat's got to come from somewhere. And if it's not loaded dietarily, it's got a lot of it's going to come out of your own nervous system. Remember these fats too coat the, the nerves of the body, myelinate the nerves too. So we need them for that as well. So it's really important to our nervous systems. And it's likely that there was it, that the consumption of brains or the consumption of, you know, in other words, when humans first started eating meat, we might have been scavenging it. Most likely we were scavenging it, um, early hominins. We were learning that after a, like, let's say just hypothetically a cheetah or a lion is done with a kill. If you could get in there with stones, you could crack open the bones that they couldn't break open and all that marrows in there and you could break open the skull case and that that fat of the brain was in there. So without even being able to hunt, we could scavenge that stuff and actually get these really, really valuable nutrients that even the carnivores couldn't get. And that might've led to this rapid brain development. I mean, you know, either, you know, people love to joke around, like, did aliens come down here and mutate humans? Yeah, like, how do we get these? Like, we don't know what happened to us, but one theory is that it was the consumption of brains and or shellfish. So I think it's really important. People will say today, I'll get this criticism sometimes, like, well, the oysters that you like eating are filtering seawater so they have microplastics in them and it's like yeah dude everything does now <laughs> welcome to earth <laughs> everything's this like is the microplastics. era like right. you're you're typing that on plastic right. to me everything is got, contaminated now but what's in them is so valuable that i i think it's just worth it so oysters mussels clams hmm. crab anything like that, I think it's good to weave that stuff in fairly regularly throughout your year. I don't think you need to live on it. Shrimp could be really good too. Uh, A lot of shrimp are being raised now though. So differentiating while this is an ethical conundrum because the best seafood is wild seafood, but eating wild seafood contributes to a loss of marine life because it's, we're doing a lot of overfishing in the world, but the the irony is that when you farm seafood, you tend to feed it wild seafood. Yeah. So we, we have a do? local store here. They have about 600 stores, H-E-B, but it's pretty cool. Every every uh, sign tells you exactly what it is. Farm awesome. raised, wild, previously frozen, yeah. you know. So yeah. you, you got a choice. You, you got some choices, you yeah. know, which is cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's important. Oh, one, yeah. one of the things, too, doing traveling around making the show, like we were on Molokai, Hawaii oh, um, last yeah. year, which was an incredible Ooh. experience. But um, but some local friends of mine, my friend Koo, took us out to show us how they foraged the seaside. And we were gathering all our own sea salt right out of the rocks and all this cool stuff. But there was little limpets that... You know, they have a single conical shell. They're basically a snail that lives on the rocks. You know, we have the same kind of thing here in Maine with our periwinkles, things that just are all over the rocks, little animals. And when the tide goes out, you can gather these up and bring them home and cook them up. And man, I mean, you know, so anything like that that's living on the sea. The reason, by the way, is pretty simple. A cow's body fat, you were talking about tallow. Man, what's tallow like at room temperature? It's basically solid. Mm -hmm. It is. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's solid. But when it's on your body, it's your body temperature. Like if you put that tallow in your pocket, it would liquefy. Yeah. When the cow's alive, it's not solid. When the cow's alive, it's more of like a jelly, just like our fat feels like a jelly. Mm. But if you got really cold, like dead cold, your fat would start to solidify because you have saturated fat. Well, you can't use that fat as a marine creature because the ocean water's too cold. 
And what would happen to a fish if it had fat like a cow? The fish's fat would turn solid and it would float to the surface. Yeah. So they have to have a fat that stays liquidy even when it's really, really cold. And those that's what omega-3 fat does. So omega-3 fat, like if you put fish oil in your refrigerator or freezer, it doesn't turn solid. That's the kind of oil marine creatures need in order to survive in the ocean. And so that's why we find those fat. And that's why you can't, that's why a temperature of like 104 degrees is dangerous to your brain because your brain's made out of those fats. Those fats can't get too warm. You need them to stay cool. <laughs> you put a lot of energy into keeping that brain cool because it's made out of these delicate fats. And so, yeah, sea creatures use those fats preferentially over saturated fats. Is that an issue? I mean, I know you do a lot of saunas. We do it too, but we have a portable one where our head is out. Does your sauna get hot enough that you're in that? Because we ours go to 150 or so, 160. It's oh, yeah. really hot. You don't want to do. Yeah. You wouldn't want to get your head that hot. Right? I don't. I've never seen anything about issues with that, even in like hot saunas. Yeah, I mean, you you because you get out at the point where you're starting to feel hyperthermic. It's right. like when you get out. What I wouldn't encourage people to do is obnoxiously long sessions. You know, like I wouldn't try to do marathon sessions in there. You want to get out and cool off. Um, so I just gauge it based on how much I'm sweating. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's a concern of of reaching f danger, fever danger in, fever in the danger. I've never heard yeah. of that. What does Daniel think, think about? I think dehydration would be bigger. Yeah. What does Daniel think about Rocky Mountain oysters and how about raw milk? Two questions there. Rocky Mountain oysters. Well, raw milk, I'm just all the way yes yeah. on. It's liquid meat, um, long, long history of use. Rocky Mountain oysters, so they're talking about eating testicles. Yeah, right. um, I, man, I've, I've eaten them. I find them okay. I find the textures okay. Um, but I don't eat a ton of that. Yeah, not not a huge like I don't go, I wouldn't go out and try to get a whole bunch because I'm super excited about eating them. But I don't think there's anything wrong with eating them, and I think they're fantastic. Um, but it's let me try to put it like this: Let's say you kill a buffalo, mm -hmm. male. So you got a couple of big testicles, right? Two big testicles. You got a big liver, a big heart, and then you've got hundreds of pounds of meat. It's not proportional. It's not like there's enough liver that every time you eat meat, you're also going to eat liver and testicles. Like those testicles are gone in one meal. The liver is going to last a few meals. And now you've got just endless meat. So I think if you look at animals and you look at their organs in proportion to their muscle meat, it kind of tells you how much is appropriate to yeah, eat. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like sure. in proportion already. So yeah. put it like that. Um, Rocky Mountain oysters. You got to love that one. <laughs> what is Daniel's view about Oh, God, you people, my listeners. Uh, what is Daniel's view about the globe model or a level uh, immovable plane? Does he think there's a firmament? So you, have you ever looked into the whole flat earth thing? Yeah, I, I'm just not, I'm not buying the flat earth You're theory. not buying I, that uh, one. No, no. It's a, I, I'm attracted to the excitement of thinking everything you've thought is wrong. That's and pretty, that there's a that's whole other cool, view. Right? That's very exciting. Um, but as somebody who studied archaeoastronomy a bit, um, man, we're, I feel like that's taken us backwards a little bit. Okay. What does Daniel think about turpentine that one of Patrick's guests recommends and other essential oils for health? You, ever, oh, you I know just, the turpentine I don't know. thing? Not a lot, no. I've heard people talking about it, like pine resins and stuff like that, but um, yeah. I just can't speak to that. I don't know about that. Okay. Well, um, I think we've just 
we didn't even get in too much trouble here, which is good. You know, I mean, I mean, come <laughs> on, talking to you for two and a half hours. How do we not get into I know. trouble? There's so many taboo topics. There's so many. We, you know, we can probably even play this on YouTube without getting censored. So that'll be <laughs> yeah, I know. that'll be pretty exciting. Say chemtrail on YouTube, right? Uh, yeah, you can see. Oh, yeah. So thanks for everything, Daniel. Don't forget now with survival, thrival. We also have Rishi. This is cool. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Tell folks how you do your your medicinal the Rishi. And the yeah, I don't think there's too many companies doing what we're doing, which is dual extractions on our mushrooms. We we do the chaga as well, of course, in a similar fashion. But what we're doing is, um, so this is pretty simple chemistry for folks. When you when you boil a mushroom, a medicinal mushroom, in water and you make a decoction of it, or that's the tea, that's really good for the immune system because it pulls out the beta glucans. Those are soluble in water, so that stuff will come out into the tea that you're making if you have enough heat. So, you know, you boil mushrooms real on a real hard boil, like a hot boil. Uh, you don't want to simmer them. You want them hot. Um, that'll draw out those beta-glucans. Those are really good for your immune system. But if you want the adaptogens, and that's the thing that helps your body adapt to stressful conditions in the environment. So, uh, like more than ever, we need that stuff because we're living in this time of great environmental change. Um, and so I don't mean just in like the sense of what the temperature is out there. I mean, like everything about our environment's changing, um, technologically, culturally, socially, all those kind of things, uh, you want adaptogens. And if you're somebody who's into exercise, you want adaptogens as well, but they don't come out in water. So you could boil your reishi or your chaga and make tea and drink that you're getting the immune part, but you're not getting the terpene fraction, which has all of the adaptogens. So that stuff comes out in alcohol. So what we do with our mushrooms is with our chaga, we start with a wild sourced chaga from right here in Maine. Uh, with our reishi, we start with an organic log grown reishi and we do two extractions, a hot water extraction and an alcohol extraction. And then we combine them in those tinctures. So that tincture has the full spectrum of what's in the mushroom. So you're getting the adaptogens, but you're also getting the beta glucans for the immune system. So to me, it's like a waste to not do both of those things. But most of the mushroom products on the market, I hate to talk bad. I won't like mention any companies or anything. I hate to talk bad about the industry, but it's like the reality is most are mushrooms that are, are just the mycelia biomass grown on grains and then ground up. So mm. you're getting mostly rice or your whatever else the substrate is. Um, and the research shows that the mycelia is much lower in all of those things. So we use the actual fruit bodies in the case of the reishi or the actual sclerotia in, in case of the chaga. And then we do both of those extractions so you get a whole product that does both of the things. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some people that say the earth is so bonkers, we should just not quit having babies. Because I get, I, you know, I keep talking about that I want to have children because I'm just a kid. Do you and have any kids? Not, not yet. No, but I'm going to. I, I, I don't know yeah. who yet or with, but anyway, I keep talking about that on the air and I get emails, Patrick, the earth is crazy. Why would you want to have any children? And I just answer back, well, take pine pollen and elk velvet antler and you'll have babies. <laughs> uh, be careful. And I think <laughs> we should bring crazy. some really cool souls into earth plane. I think we need them. So, I mean, I'm in, I'm yeah, in. Yeah, we're looking at a population yeah, implosion. Come on. Us, man. Yeah, mean, let's, let's kids, make some babies. Kids to be born. How about you two? You guys going to make some babies soon? We've, we've had um, a, a long series of miscarriages. And oh. we've been, yeah, this is like a whole other thing to get into, which oh. is very emotional. So I don't want to like spoil the end of our podcast, but, but we've actually, we're, we're very uh, much wanting to. Okay. Um, 
but we've had a lot of challenges and and it's opened my eyes to because i'm in my 40s and so is she and and we're part of a generation that was told there's too many kids overpopulation blah 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 and and we all plus we pursued education and we pursued work and now what i've seen is there's a generation of people in their 30s and 40s that think oh i'm gonna have kids later and then it can be quite a challenge to um so uh, I think people should have kids when they're younger, You'll be in their twenties, like they, yeah, you know, yeah. used to. Like we, we've gotten, we've been convinced that we shouldn't. This is a huge. This is one of those top-down Davos decisions. Like, yeah, let's convince people not to have kids. And and I think that was, um, we've been duped on that one. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's a big you know, you need to have three kids before you're adding to the population. That's <laughs> well, you're two people who yeah. are both going to die. So if you had two kids, you both died. You're just replacing. If you have one kid, one you want you both die. You haven't added anybody. You've actually still removed one. So you need three kids before you add to the population. So you don't have to feel guilty, like oh, you're adding to the population. It's like you're not. You're two people who are going to die. Leave at least one behind. You still cut the population in half. So uh, we don't need to be thinking here in the West about overpopulation. The world might want to consider that, but we, we don't need to yeah, in, in the United yeah. States. No, no way. My theory is that these little souls come in right away after conception, and if things are just not right for whatever reason, spiritually, emotionally, physically, I don't know, they'll just move on and say, come on, try again. And that's what a miscarriage is. And, yeah. you, you know, yeah. they, they don't die and they'll come back again. So we call them our star children. Yeah, star children. Yeah, they'll <laughs> be back. They'll be back. Yeah, we've done, incidentally, something um, just to, for the future yeah. to think about is we did those miscarriages at home and that's not very common anymore. Wow. And um, it's something that people don't talk about because, um, it's emotional. And when you bring it up, people don't know how to, you know, people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. And people know how to talk about it. But, um, but reproductive grief is a big thing, but also what, what hap- what a woman's body does at home when she miscarries, it's intense. Is it? And, um, really? yeah. And, and a lot of the women listening to this will, will know, but a lot of people don't know. Um, and I think this is just a whole nother tangent, but it's like, I think that it's important that women start to take the birthing process back from the medical establishment a little bit mm-hmm. um and and learn what their bodies are capable of because it's incredible yeah, yeah incredible to me well it's fun trying so you'll have a good time it'll be oh good. yeah it'll we, be we, okay we put all that work in don't <laughs> worry man I, I love putting the work in <laughs> it'll be good it'll be good all right my friend i love you thank you really oh, i love you man uh, thank you yeah. for being on the show uh, yeah and, thanks for having me we, i appreciate it yeah we had a good time and thanks for all your products and um, oh man, I love doing it. And yeah. so again, tell folks now who do not have cable like Patrick how we can see <laughs> like your wild fed. I, you know, I don't do the yeah. cable thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so as Patrick's mentioning, I do a TV show called Wild Fed. Um, I get to host that show, and um, I'm just getting ready to go into the fourth season of production. So we're making our fourth season yes. right now. Our third series is our third season is airing on Outdoor Channel. Um, I also don't have cable, so I know the challenge. Um, here's how people can see the show. Okay. The first two seasons are on Outdoor Channel's got a streaming service called MyOutdoorTV.com or MOTV.com. Um, and you can go there, get a free subscription and see the first two seasons. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that's what I always tell people to do. Get a free get a free subscription. I think it's probably like seven bucks a month or something, but you know, get it, get it for free and binge my show and then you can decide <laughs> if you want a membership. Um, the, se- the season that's on right now, we send people to an app called Friendly TV. It's F-R-N-D-L-Y TV.com. And that's um, a streaming service that bundles like 
15, 20 cable channels and outdoor channels, one of them. And so when my show's on Monday nights at seven 30 and it's part of a block of shows called, um, taste of the wild. So it's a bunch of oh, wild cool. food cooking shows, culinary adventure shows. Um, and so we're on at seven 30 on Mondays. And so I watch my show as it airs on the friendly app. So I go to friendlytv.com. You know, that also has a free membership. If you wanted to try, for instance, um, this coming week on Monday night will be our sea duck episode, I think. And, um, that episode, um, that's fun. Anyway, go, go to friendlytv.com and you can watch that episode Monday night at seven 30 for free. If you just get a free, free membership there, um, and, can, uh, watch the episode can, uh, live. As can you do like a friendly app on a, on a Mac or PC without doing yeah, it on yeah, a phone? Yeah. Can yeah, yeah. Any, 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 any computer, it's just a website friendlytv.com and um like i said you know they, what they are is a service that gives you a bunch of cable channels if you don't have cable so that's how that's how we watch our own show every monday yeah yeah that's and cool. then it's on several other times that's our main time slot when we debut but um we're on several time slots okay and there's cool shows actually on either side of us if you're interested in wild foods okay one of the most fun questions of the uh, uh today we'll leave for the last because i wrote this one down this morning because i know you're into the whole how this how we got here and by the way, I think you're onto something. I think we really did come out of the ocean at some point. Be you know what I mean? Only because, not only because, but um, I mean, look at those dolphins. I mean, these, these guys know what they're doing. Dolphins I mean, were land animals. Well, too. that's what I, mean, I heard. They were, land, they yeah. were like a wolf-like animal that went. And they came back and they said, the, I don't care for this land stuff. were land-based animals. And they went know? back in. But anyway, if you look at uh, the ocean water, it has the exact proportion of minerals, right, which is in our blood, the exact proportion. Now, what's that about? No, and we have some other interesting things, like the way our nose is, like yeah. if you look at a primate, their their nostrils are open to the environment. Yeah. We have this one that's like this, and when we dive in water, water doesn't go up our nose. When we get wet and our fingers get all pruny and our toes get all pruny, they used, people used to think that, oh, it's just I'm getting waterlogged. It's like, no, your skin's waterproof. What that's doing is increasing surface area so that when you're on rocks and stuff, you have more surface to cling to rocks. Mm. We have a body fat layer um, that's much more like an aquatic animal than like a land-based animal, or the way our adipose tissues subcutaneous we have a mammalian dive reflex built in babies know how to go underwater from birth and hold right. their breath and we have a bunch of features that make us a lot the hairlessness you know and anthrop and you know people have explained this through many uh, evolutionary scientists explain this through other means but uh, i'm not saying i subscribe to the theory i just am fascinated by it w the fact that we cry salty tears is unique too that's ah, not something other animals are doing tears. so yeah yeah like it's one of the ways we shed excess salt so um yeah we have some unique features that that are reminiscent of our time but also you look at how much we love to be at the ocean our love yeah, for the sea and to like... be at the sea and our ability to dive it's incredible i mean i've done some um free diving workshops and spent some time you know spearfishing and free diving and we're very good at it for an animal that doesn't have a background doing it. So yeah, it is, we're a curious ape that has an aquatic leaning for sure. Well, my mind took over and I didn't get the chance to ask the question, but since you're into all of these ideas of how we got here and all that, at some point, didn't we not know that we know, right? We, we knew that we knew. We didn't just didn't know. My camera just ran out, so I'll just put you on. What do you think that's about? I mean, 
Wait, what? <laughs> well, Sorry, what I'm again. saying is, like, I believe that all things, broccoli from deer, are spiritual beings. I believe that they are, they are, you know, I think they, I, I had a cat that reincarnated and told me in a dream. So I know that dogs and cats are <laughs> yeah. souls too, all right? I just sure. know it. So I, I get yeah. that. But at some point, our species, somehow we knew that we knew, right? Animals know. But at some point we knew. Forgot. Well, we knew that we knew. I mean, we, we, we became self-aware. I mean, what do you think? Oh, you know oh our saying? sentience? You're asking about our you know sentience. What I mean? Like we walked around and we start to think of yeah. ourselves and we, we knew that we knew and, you know, the, the buffalo yeah. just knows, right? What do you think? Any theories on that? Well, not any not any ones that I could kind of really demonstrably <laughs> prove in any way, but no, I, I, I want to, I'll say this. I I mean, I'm, I'm more, I'm probably more comfortable to say it's like a gift from God than uh -huh. it is to than I am to say it's like, oh, it's the product of evolution. I have to say it's the product of evolution all the time because like, you don't want to get laughed out of scientific circles, but like, <laughs> ultimately, um, I think that we, we are, I, I love the idea that the world is like a simulation, you know, there's mm -hmm. been like scientific kind of proposals, like this hypothesis of like, what if we live in like a, some kind of a simulation? Um, I think that's kind of what a lot of the religions say. It's almost like, I, I like this idea that God created the world um, the way that a person might create the metaverse. Yes. You know, it's like a construct. And the goal is not to figure out what it's made of and how to manipulate it. The goal is to enjoy the game. And we're so focused on trying to figure out what it's made of and then trying to make our own version of the game, change the game, change the code. You know, we're obsessed with what the code is so we can rewrite it and change it. And it seems to me that a lot of the religions spend a lot of their time talking about past humans making those exact ma same mistakes that lead to destruction. Hmm. So the Tower of Babel is like this really interesting yeah. story about right. that, where it's like humans humans get obsessed with trying to make their way to heaven. And then, you know, it leads to the collapse of that. And then they they forget everything. They forget their own language and they all have all these different languages. Um I kind of like that sort of a story where it's like we've been given this gift and instead of really enjoying it to create paradise on earth and to create beautiful communities and loving right. interactions with other species, we're so busy trying to like build rocket ships to get off this amazing planet. I, I don't understand why we're doing that. I think that I like that the Lakota and Dakota, they, they have this name for God. It's like Wonka and Tonka, the great mystery. Hmm. You know, I love that idea. Like the, it's a mystery. So I don't know the answer. I don't need to know it. I think that we should be more comfortable with a little bit of mystery. We're, we're so busy trying to unveil every mystery. Um, and some of them are better when you leave them in place. So hmm. I don't, it's like a gift. That's yeah. all I can say. It's like a true gift. And I want to live my life enjoying the gift, not trying to figure out what the gift is made of. You and know, then how I can manipulate You said that. something that, as much as I thought about this for the first time, God love you, the idea of forgot. So what if all souls are souls, right? Broccoli and cauliflower and deer and, and, and you know, elk and bears. And at some point, we have evolved to the point spiritually where we remembered that we're from yeah. God, right? We remembered and we woke up and we yeah. said, whoa what am I doing here? And who am I? And what's it all about Alfie? 
that kind of thing. Why, why is that? Why is there so many folks trying to make me forget? <laughs> but know? maybe we did that <laughs> millions of years ago, and maybe that's where get we get all my attention. Where here, we turn man. into it's humans, like, right? Maybe that's what separated us. Possibly. Yeah, man. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta be. I think it's important that we we live like with a balance of the heart, right? The mind and the gut brain too. It's like these three brains, and when they're all in balance, like some of these things make sense, and they don't necessarily translate well into words. Yeah. It's like you can feel certain things that you're talking about, like you can sense and feel certain things, but when you try to explain them, they Can't sound explain. sophomoric. Yeah. Or, but but it's like humans are getting to where they're being told to like live out of their brain all the time. Right. And it's like that's man. If you don't connect into your heart, you it's hard to have a good spiritual connection and a remembrance of some of these things. And so. Um, I don't know how it all works. I'm okay with it. It's a mystery, uh, but I, I think prayer and relationship with a higher power is like really, 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 really important. You know, we've been talking about all these other things, nutrients and cardio and all these kind of things. Those things are all really important. But man, if you don't have a spiritual connection, what's the point of any of that? Yeah, exactly. To me, yeah. that's what's really, really about. And I do know people whose health seems to emanate from their spiritual connection not from any of their lifestyle practices mm -hmm. and, and i've seen that you know like it's possible to live kind of a not a great lifestyle but but be joyful because of your spirit and so that's like the untapped terrain in this health thing yeah. a lot of us have not you know we have we failed to really tap into well said well said all right brother my best to your bride and to your aminals and uh, have fun out there foraging and we'll look for wild fed season four but for now, we yeah. can go to this friendly and uh, and watch uh, season three, correct? Beautiful. That's right. See, so you're the only really TV star I know, so I'm very excited. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a very small network with a pretty small show, but, uh, but I'll take it. <laughs> All right, kiddo. You take care of yourself. I love you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Patrick Timponi, OneRadioNetwork.com. And we uh, lost our camera because I'm such an, uh, a Luddite that I haven't been able to figure out how to hardwire this camera after 10 years. But you know, you'd think I would get to it, but I just haven't been able to do it. So I will see you on Friday on One Radio Network, and they're telling me that the uh, phone's gonna be fixed by then, so I hope so. So we will uh, see you on Friday. I'm gonna take some time off uh, on Thursdays like I do uh, tomorrow, and there you are. So I love you all very much. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you on Friday. Take care. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.